0: Hey everybody, welcome to Hit Rewind. This week we're doing another double feature of, I want to say, almost action comedies uh, that uh, everybody thinks were huge um, because they did so well on video and cable. But in theaters, not so much. I was a little surprised when I looked this up. Uh, We're going to be discussing the big hit and the transporter. Yes, they are connected. (laughs) There is some connective tissue there. I'm your host, Michael, and Tony is the guest on this episode. Hello. I, sh- I shouldn't say guest. Co-host, I should say. Because you're going to be filling in for a while doing this. And I feel like this is something that we I miss doing. where the, It was just like the simple double features instead of trying to cram five, six movies in. mm
1: mm-hmm.
0: um, So you're the one who kind of came up with a good connector to the big hit. And I was like racking my brain. I was like, do we know the, do the other John Boo production, Bulletproof Monk? Yeah. I don't remember liking that at all. And then you're like, wait, now I know something. And it's the weird thing where... It's not just the fact that there is um, a whole thing about a girl being in a trunk, you know, and then they're they're supposed to get rid of them or something like that, and then it goes wrong for them. I also think it's, there are movies that are heavily influenced uh, by Hong Kong cinema in more than one way, and they're trying to intermix some lighter tones with the action. I I do feel like that,
1: yeah. I, I feel like with... Just that era of Hong Kong styled American cinema—they stopped trying to take itself too seriously.
0: Yeah, it's now the big hit is if you were to categorize it, would be a comedy. But there's a lot of charm and kind of a light tone to the the action in the Transporter. It's kind of wacky in a way.
1: Yeah, it has that Jackie Chan feel, you know. And, you know, I say Jackie Chan, but honestly, like, during that same period, there was a lot of uh, movies coming out of the U.K. that kind of had, like, that wacky, humorous action rather than just, like, straightforward, you know, um, like, over-the-top, like, that's serious.
0: Yeah. And I don't recall, has John Woo ever done a comedy?
1: I don't know. I can't think of one off the top of my head, but I mean... I want to say
0: yes, I I don't know what. Huh, yeah, I keep racking my brain because it seems like most of his productions were dead serious too, um, with the exception of Once a Thief, if you remember that TV show. Yeah. It was a Canadian TV show. It was only on for like a year. It was right before this. It almost feels like he had that team in place up in Toronto, uh, where they shot that and they just used that to make this movie and it kind of has a similar, lighter feel to it. Um... And it's written by Ben Ramsey who has apologized numerous times for a movie he wrote later called Dragon Ball Z. He said he didn't know anything about Dragon Ball Z. He just needed to pay his bills. Yeah.
1: It, yeah, it was a way ball level of amazing. Yeah. And that's
0: not <laughs> And it's directed by Chikirk Wong. Now, if I'm correct, is he the one who did God a Gambler series or at least the first few?
1: I, I think so, yeah. I mean, I... I've, I've watched all those movies, and I've loved them to death, but, like, my details on,
0: like, production and direction, I couldn't tell you off the top of my head. I'd have to dig it up. Actually, I'm looking right here. I'm cheating. Uh, no, he <laughs> just he just wrote the second one or produced the second one. It seems like this is really up his alley as I I feel like he should have done more movies like this. He only did, like, three more movies after uh, the big hit, which is kind of a – no, only one. It was a TV movie, and they took his, he took his name off of it. It was an Alan Smithy. That's kind of a bummer, because I think he's having a very good time with this.
1: I feel like The Big Hit was a great film. but I mean, I watched it in my youth, and so I think it was definitely for a crowd of people that weren't aware that it existed, and so it just didn't get that uh, acclaim that it should have gotten.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, us movie nerds were really aware of the Asian uh, directors coming over, and like, you know, how many movies did we see after John Woo broke out with Hard Boiled and The Killer, where it was, you know, sliding around in two guns, but they pretended like it wasn't from John Woo; they came up with that on their own.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> and and the brighter colors, you know, you see a lot of that in those two Van Damme movies that we discussed, like, God, like eight years ago, uh, Double Team and Knockoff they have the same yeah. vibe as this one. Yeah, uh, I
1: mean, like, I really appreciated a lot of the Asian influences in film. And, you know, and a, a lot of the, you know, like, another double feature that we were talking about was The, the Last Boy Scout and, uh, what was it? Um, Bulletproof. Uh, Bulletproof. And, you know, like, that was coming into, like, the, taking the whole, like, you know, action can be humorous. And uh, you didn't see a whole lot of that, in, like, early 90s, late 80s. It wasn't until much later. And I was like, yeah, you know, we can have fun with this. It doesn't have to be you know like non stop like
0: thriller. Yeah, well in nineteen ninety six I think is where the big change over came because all of the action stars that we knew that were like, you know, getting studio films made, their careers died. It was like the last hurrah. Because in February of ninety six, the world discovered Jackie Chan in Rumble in the Bronx and then we oh, started yeah. yeah, we started getting you know, we got Supercop later that year and I think ninety seven is when we get um Black Mask, and stuff like that. So all of a sudden, the world is, like, changing. Like, we need new action stars. And I think this was ahead of the curve because, look, Mark Wahlberg, for 20 years, was a big action star.
1: Yeah. I mean, you know, like, I hate to, I hate to say it, but, like, Arnold Schwarzenegger, whenever he talks about his favorite roles, he actually liked more comedic roles. So, like, things like Kindergarten Cop, which was much earlier, and that, unfortunately, it didn't do so well, but the last action hero where he was trying to be that comedic actor, Yeah, you know, well, I, I thought it was a lot of fun as a kid, but like it just people weren't hitting with it because it's so stuck that he has to be this you know, very straightforward action hero.
0: Well, Last Action Hero, thing, I think, had two things going against it as well. That it came out the week after Jurassic Park and oh, yeah. um, that I think it was too early to mock that genre. I think if you did it like two or three years later... I think it would have done better. It's weird that uh, Loaded Weapon 1 almost made the same exact box office as his last action (laughs) hero. (laughs) Um, But yeah, you could see, you could just tell there was something different in the air. And of course, like I said, this turned uh, Mark Wahlberg into a big star. Boogie Nights, of course, six months earlier helped. Um, But I I think that Luke Diamond Phillips is the real shining star here. And it's a damn shame. It really didn't do anything for his career.
1: I, I agree. I, I feel like Lou Diamond Phillips should get a lot more acclaim. Him and Mark Coscos. I mean, Mark Costas has been coming up last in the last ten years, but Lou Diamond Phillips has never gotten as much fame in the accolades as he should have been getting
0: yeah after this it should have been comedies and he just went back to doing like lower budget dramas like he had been doing before and he's yeah. a fucking hoot in this and he's also a legitimate threat he handles those action sequences in it very well His in the choreography I think it helps that he has that build that long lanky build oh yeah what is it the guy that's at the end of Drive Mark DeCascos' Drive um, I think his name is Masada Masada Kato or something like that you, have you seen it right?
1: I don't recall. I mean oh. I might have, but it's been a while.
0: And there's a guy in there. He's really got like the swimmer's build, and that's what Lou Diamond Phillips has, a runner swimmer build or whatever. And um, it just looks more dynamic on the on the screen than I think it does uh for any other body type.
1: Yeah. I mean, hell It works for uh, Bruce Lee and uh Oh god I can't remember his name, uh, um Basketball player, super famous, Kareem abdul
0: like, Oh, yeah, yeah, Kareem Abdul-Jabbar, you yeah, know, like in Game Jabbar. of Death. His arms are so fucking long and his legs are just, like, wrapping his head around <laughs> Bruce Lee. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it,
1: it, it's, it's just, like, when you have, like, that stark difference of, like, you know, like, small regular figure and, like, a swimmer's figure or a mountain climber's figure, and, like, it's a very stark difference and it's very interesting to see.
0: yeah. Uh, Yeah, but he looks like he's just having an absolute blast because he was a guy who I think was restrained for a long time by doing those heavy dramas. Um, And then I had seen, I just watched Mad TV where he was the guest promoting this. And again, every sketch he's in, he's fucking killing it. And it's just like, how did you not give him his own comedies?
1: Lou Diamond Phillips on Matt TV was one of my favorite uh, episodes of Matt TV, like ever. Just, yeah. Him just panning symbols like, like him and the Mexican wrestlers and like just every single like
0: bit with him that was gold. Senior bag of crap. <laughs> <laughs> I will break your back with my knee, like so. No, they I'm have sorry. him. They had him come on, and they're like they keep introducing him as La Bamba, and you can see he's really frustrated. and He's dre- he dressed just like it. He goes, "That isn't even my name. I hate that song. I'm exhausted by that movie." And they bring out this mariachi band, and he just grabs his <laughs> guitar and smashes it on the ground or whatever. He goes, "That's it. I quit." <laughs> but. Oh,
1: man. This, this is a podcast about, you know, unsung heroes more than anything else. Yeah. Just forget the movies and talk about Lou Diamond
0: Phillips. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, so nineteen ninety eight is like like not just the the Hong Kong influence into a lot of these movies, it's also like you remember how grunge kinda of brought everything to a stop and and things weren't really fun they were mopey and then you know fast forward to like 96 97 you have the british influence you have ska coming in and bright colors you know like the whole spice girls thing is going and this has brightly colored costumes it's got ska music it's really bouncy and fun
1: yeah, I, I, I agree. I, I think that there was, like, a huge change, and I think a part of it was, like, you know, people were just trying to get away from that whole noir, like, gritty, like, you know, like, pre, like, 96, like, film. I mean, you know, hard-boiled, like we watched last time, was a good example of them trying to stay in, like, the nitty-gritty, and I'm like, we gotta, we gotta brighten it up, and I think this is one of the ones where they really nailed it.
0: Yeah, um... There is so many quotable lines in this, and there is a character in this that drives me fucking insane only because I am so much like him when I'm trying to think of something and I can't get the words out. But his name is Gump, played by Robin Dunn. And when he's on the phone and they're purposely stalling, he's like, we just, you know, with the the fucking shit, uh, with the thing. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But like the lines where he's like, it's my buster, buster, buster like that, (laughs) or, um, uh, bam, motherfucker, bam, motherfucker, whatever, or, um, the Boki Woodbine discovers masturbating, and it's, like, the greatest thing in the world, and he doesn't, he's, like, (laughs) when he goes to the can, he goes, he has, like, this little hand muscle thing, he goes, what is this lanolin shit, put some aloe vera in it. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> did, did you see the little Easter egg when they're at the, uh, the movie rental place like, and he's like in the top 10 board? Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he's like has thumbs up. Um, I that, That's another. See, what they did, I think, because it's a very low budget movie if you think about what they try to pull off. Mm-hmm. And it's because they choose like one or two locations for a majority of the sequences Uh, and that video store setup is really good for a fight sequence and I got so nostalgic looking at it but I've never ever in my life no matter how many video stores I've been to ever seen a two story video store
1: yeah that was crazy I was like I don't know if I can believe a two story video store I mean I I've never seen that in my life. But talk about a good use of Chekhov's gun, where just the entire movie, they're just, like, getting phone calls, like, hey, your movies are late, you know, you have late movies. It's like, oh, wow, I didn't, I didn't really think that that was going to pay off at some point.
0: Yeah, the, the kid, I remember him from um, uh, National Lampoon's senior trip. And I think this is the only other thing that I've ever seen him in, but he kills it with the annoying nerd. But I kind of get where he's coming from. Like, return your fucking tape, asshole. <laughs> <laughs> King Kong lives. Good Lord. I mean, how, why did he write it in the first place? I think it's just something the writer said would be really fucking hilarious if he threw in a movie that was a huge flop. It had to have been.
1: had to have been an inside joke. I mean, there's no other way what they'd use that movie.
0: And then we have this weird subplot. Uh, The fact that Mark Wahlberg is like the nicest assassin in the world. He's an amazing assassin. That first action sequence is mind-boggling how he's just doing everything. And all his friends are just saying, Yeah, yeah, we're holding it back for you, buddy. And he's like, Someone get in here! But...
1: Yeah, and I, I, one of the reasons why I love this so much Is because like, I came off of watching Gross Point Blink And then this came around the corner And yeah. I was like this is exactly what I wanted It's it's similar but different enough To where I could just enjoy it And it's just you know like a fun like nerve-wracking main character who's like, you know, and in this case, is like having upset tummy because he's just so anxious.
0: Yeah, well, it's the idea of someone not liking him. I completely understand. It's a, an insecurity thing and in that he doesn't want to hurt anybody's feelings. But so, yeah, I think, now this sounds cynical, but I think you're going to have to deal in life with some people are just not going to like you and you're you're going to have to stop bending over backwards for them. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he's got the one girlfriend who demands more money out of him. He's got the the fiancé that who doesn't really love him. I don't know why he's still with her, just because I guess he doesn't want to break up with her, because then she won't like him. Um, we have the, uh, the in-laws, the potential in-laws, and, I mean, come on, Ellie Gould just having a fucking ball. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's funny how it's a domestic comedy mixed in with this assassin stuff. I think, I think the one thing that doesn't work for me, though, is China Chow. Um, she says stuff just to say the dialogue. I don't believe what she's saying.
1: Yeah, I, I think that, like, it, it felt like either she was dialing it in or she just wasn't comfortable, like, at all throughout the entire film. Like, I don't know. But, like, it was just like, I, I knew it was
0: a constant pullout. yeah she was she's not an actress she was a model and I believe that she was dating Mark Wahlberg at the time or they started dating as they were making the movie um I mean she, I'm sure she's a nice enough lady and but I just for some reason just whenever she's reading the dialogue I wasn't buying into it
1: <laughs>
0: um, the car sequence look I know that it looks fake now and how they did it. But that fucking thing flipping over and chasing him down the hill is one of the best ideas I've ever seen in a movie.
1: Yeah, you know, it's, it's always hard to go back, but you have to remember during the time, like, these are, like, this is, like, incredible stuff that you're seeing. Like, this was not, like, easily done and easily viewable. Like, you wouldn't see this as often.
0: Yeah. Well, and it's before, I think, really people figured out how to film it properly. Even if it isn't visually convincing, just edit it and film it properly so that it is exciting. And whoever edited this did just a really good job of making it exciting. Yeah. Um, anything else you want to say about this before we move on?
1: Honestly, I mean, like, we've, I think we've hit it all. The, the biggest thing I'd say is, like, if you haven't seen it, you know, give it a shot. Like, I promise you, if you like, you know, a good just comedy action, like, this is one of my top ten easily.
0: The Transporter is interesting because besides the first movie, the franchise isn't very good, but God, they make oh. so much fucking money. I don't, the second one's okay, but there's some ridiculous shit in there. And I mean ridiculous to the point where I'm like, yeah. nah, I don't think about that. The whole car flipping thing to knock the bomb off, come on. Um,
1: <laughs> to be fair, the Transporter walked so that Fast
0: and the Furious could run. Because- <laughs> <laughs> kind of. <laughs> because
1: that is the level of insane. Like, if you were to say like Transporter One versus Transporter Two, it's the same thing as Fast and the Furious versus like Fast and the Furious Two. Like, they start getting out of control with the car stuff.
0: Yeah, and then three is not a bad plot. It's just the way it's filmed it is edited with like a chainsaw. I mean, you can I mean, cut, 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 cut. cut. Um, yeah. And that that.
1: Sloppy. Yeah.
0: Uh, and whoever took over in the I don't I want to say part 4 aka kind of a reboot is refueled and I, he does not have that whatever it is that Jason Statham has this guy does not have it
1: yeah I, I, I agree like he, he he'd be a good like Spy in the car, but like for the character that Jason Statham plays, like you, like you had it's hard to replace Jason for that smarmy, smart ass, but also believable badass genius. Like, like he plays that bit where you can believe that he's smart, but you can also believe that he'd whoop you.
0: Yeah. The, um, so Luke Besson must have somewhere along the way fell in love with Hong Kong cinema because after. I even feel bits and pieces of it in Fifth Element. Like he's grabbing stuff from anime and man- uh, manga. Um, yeah. Something about that he, he latched onto, and it's influenced almost everything that he's done since. Um, but this is like where he really starts producing these lower budget action movies that just kick ass. I'm torn between this and the District B 13. Like, which one's a better franchise? <laughs> <laughs> um, and of course, he hired Jet Li to do a couple movies. And um, I do like the fact that it has so many... So it has a little bit of the British vibe. It has the French vibe, obviously. And then it has the Hong Kong. And it's like this weird stew that we have never seen before. I mean, more than any other uh, movie from this era where it's kind of influenced by European or Asian um, filmmaking, this feels like it's the perfect combination.
1: I, I agree. It does feel like a little bit of everything. It does feel... You know, I, I want to say international, but that's not fair because there's so many other, you know, things in the world. But, like, at least for, like, the big filmmakers, Hong Kong, UK, US, like, this is one of the few instances where it feels like all those three really come together in a seamless way that doesn't feel like someone's stepping on each other's shoes.
0: Yeah, and it's interesting that um, Corey Yoon gets as much credit as um, uh, Louis, L- I can't remember how to pronounce his name. No, it says it's directed by Corey Yoon. I could have swore that Louis Leterrier, or whatever his name was, who directed the second one, was also credited as a director. I'm very confused right now, because when I... Maybe they changed it later? Oh, oh, here it is. Uh, Okay, so he was the action choreographer, and Louis Leterrier was credited as artistic director, which is usually a thing that... Um, the DJ won't let you do. They never let you cred, uh, credit two different people as directing it unless it's an anthology or it's a directing team, like, you know, the Coen brothers. Yeah. But the fact that Luc Besson was smart and to say, hey, okay, you handled this, you handle this or whatever, and somehow got it to meld so well is a hard feat because usually uh, the directors can have a different feel like, of how they want to approach it. Yeah, no, very
1: very much. At no point did I feel like it just, it didn't, like, it, it didn't align. It felt like it was a very smooth film throughout.
0: Yeah, and it's funny is that Louis Leterrier kind of fell upwards into a lot of big movies. But Corey <laughs> Yoon only did, like, DOA after this, and that almost went straight to video, and that was it for him. Mm-hmm. Do you remember those, really, oh, No Retreat, No Surrender? Uh, that I remember oh. those, like, the first time I had seen his direction.
1: I remember
0: that. Oh, man. That takes me back. Was that the very first episode we did?
1: I think. I mean...
0: It was really early. uh, No, no, no. no. We did the cartoon stuff first. I forgot about that. Yeah, so if you look, he goes from... So he gets full credit on Transporter 2, then Incredible Hulk, Clash of the Titans, Now You See Me, and then now he's doing Fast X. (laughs) That's crazy. Well, um, oh, I mean, it makes ahead.
1: sense, because like I said, like, you know, transporter so that, you know, Furious can walk, I mean, it's basically the same concept, it's just more acceptable now, because people understand that Fast and Furious is basically just a live-action cartoon. Yeah,
0: well, I kind of wish that he was playing the same character, to tell you the truth, <laughs> but do we ever learn his name?
1: Oh, uh, I, I don't think so, Not off the top of my head, I can't remember for the life of me, but, like, that's one of the things that I like about the Fast and the Furious universe, is that they pull characters from different movies and keep them the same character, like... You know, my favorite one is uh, was Han. It was pulled from a completely different series entirely, and they actually just said, "Nope, he's the same person. He's just you know from here, from there."
0: I'm I'm stupid. I forgot his name's Frank Martin. The, the guy says it, um, uh, but it would have been cool if that's just an alias, and he is in the he's been in the Fast and Furious movies this whole time. Because <laughs> yeah, well, know, if I, you. I love, uh, I love... I love fan headcanon because
1: sometimes things just align so well that it's like, you know what? Like, they could be the same character. And, Hell, there is several other like character actors who literally play the same character across different shows. So you never know these days. Yeah,
0: I mean, he is a gun for hire, so why would he use his birth name? <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah, this one, he's just a guy that, uh, he, he's like the perfect guy with a plan he he knows everything down to the most minute detail about weight speed timing all this stuff and that instantly endears you to him because he's a guy in control and has confidence but he he's so confident he also has kind of a, a sense of humor about it cuz he's like i got this shit this is a, you know <laughs> this isn't a problem mm-hmm.
1: um
0: and also like in this one so it changes everything because he finds someone in the trunk and yes. the moment where he's Struggling, and, and some people might be like, oh, well, then he's not that, you should instantly know. I was like, no, this is not the profession that he's chosen is hero of the day. He's a gun for hire. That's it.
1: Yeah, it's it's the, you know, and I think that's part of what, what makes this really good is because it actually has the classic elements of your, you know, fantasy story. Like it's an unwilling participant who has you know a dilemma who has to overcome the dilemma i mean it's it's basic story writing but it's not in a way to where like you feel like it's new
0: yeah it's written by Luc besson and robert mark kamen and if you know robert mark kamen he is known for creating the karate kid franchise and taken oh so oh, like, I
1: wonder why this turned out so well.
0: Yeah, it's it's he's one of those guys that yes, he can do action, but he always makes sure that the character is number one. So you give a shit what's happening. You still there? Yeah, yeah. Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> trying to align the
1: fact that like, oh my, I can't believe like this is the same guy on the same writing team as these two films. Like, oh, what a. What
0: a sleepy powerhouse I just never knew. Yeah, uh Shu Kui is in this as the female lead and I am absolutely just entranced with her performance. She this could have been a nothing for throwaway performance, but she's just convincing and, and you really care about what's going on. And even when she's pulling some shit on him, like you know, tell not exactly telling him the truth, you still like Okay, I completely understand why you had to do this.
1: Yeah, I mean, and it's one of the things that, like, you know, if I were to put both films together, you know, the big hit and the transporter, like, this is one of the things that I had, the transporter really had me, you know, appreciate was that, like, you felt like the characters involved were actually, you know, like, involved, and it felt like it was really, like, enthralling, and so, you know, it was just interesting having this, like, she, wasn't, she, she was a young character, so it was a very, like, Lolita-esque experience to where it's, like, the young Asian girl and an older, you know, white kidnapper man, and you're just like, I don't know how to feel about this, but, you know, it's like, it, it pulls you in.
0: Yeah. Um, the bad guys in this is Rick Young, who we just talked about in uh, The Corruptor and uh the king of shit heels in a lot of these movies around this time is Matt Schultz who again back to fast and furious the uh, one of the bad guys in the first fast and the furious and i think his name is Chupa in blade 2 um, <laughs> fucking talk about a great crew of bad guys in blade 2 and he's like the king of the shit heels uh, well not rod Perlman's too fucking cool to be considered a shit heel but <laughs> <laughs> um,
1: he makes a good heel though i mean
0: yeah, but there's something about like he is kind of like endearing in his shittiness, but Matt Schultz is just one of those fucking bro jock douchebags you love to hate. True, true, which is why they keep casting him because you know he aligns very well with it. What was that motorcycle move? Oh, Torque. Um, torque, I, ha- oh I had I had you guys watch, and uh, he's a- he's a villain in that as well. And do you feel like this was a script first, or action sequences developed first, and then they wrapped a script around it? Because sometimes that happens. Like they just kind of come up with unique ideas for an action sequence.
1: Yeah, I, I honestly felt like the action was originally developed, and I, you know, he wanted these, these, and these things to happen, and then everything else sort of just filled in afterwards. But like, you know, with Lupuson, like you just you can't tell sometimes. Though, you know, like you you make assumptions, and you're like, well.
0: Yeah, what's that uh he did an assassin movie that did really bad a few years ago called Anna, and there's a showstopper sequence, like a fifteen minute bar fight, and it almost feels like he had that idea in his head, then he reverse engineered the
1: Yeah, I, I agree. Like that's that's literally like he had this one scene in his head and then they're like, Okay, well how are we gonna make the scene make sense and it was a terrible movie.
0: Yeah. The um so it's interesting in this one, it takes a little bit of that element from um Saving Private Ryan. It was like the first movie where you followed like a tracer bullet, where you saw where they went, and took it to like the nth degree because you see literally every bullet flying around.
1: Yeah, I, I didn't even really think about that, but yeah, like that wasn't too common at that point. So, I
0: mean, we had we had a few things like in Sniper and Posse and stuff like that where you would see like a single bullet fly. But this one is like you're literally trying to trace where every single bullet is going, and that had to be really unique for the guy who had to do the special effects.
1: Yeah, I mean, it must be hell for the editor. Though. Yeah,
0: yeah. <laughs> um, and I would say the probably the big showstopper in this is the fight sequence in like the whole uh, mechanic warehouse uh, with, oh, the you know, with the bus with the oil and the
1: bicycle oh,
0: wheels and oh, all that. That is one of the craziest, like. Here's the thing is, if it had happened earlier in the movie, I think you would have called bullshit and thought it was stupid, but you've slowly been preparing you, you know, for that sequence, and when it happens, you're like, that's crazy, but I am here for it.
1: <laughs> yes, and I think what really sells it is, like, that level of exhausted that, you know, Dixie Statham's character is portraying at that point, I was like, alright, you know, if, if this is how it's gonna be, this is how it's gonna be, like, you don't feel like, it's like oh yeah, I'm gonna really make something crazy here. <laughs>
0: So, I know that he was, um, a professional swimmer. Like, he competed. Is he, was he athletic in other ways? Does he know martial arts? Or is he just, like, a natural for adapting to these fight sequences?
1: Um, from what I know off the top of my head, I think he just started out Because, like, yeah, he was, he was an athletic swimmer. He did some music videos and things like that in his early career. Um, but, like, I don't know anything off the top of my head that states that he took any, like, standard like ballet or martial arts or anything along those lines that were like you know core choreography and coordination oriented so i think that's something he kind of developed over
0: time yeah well i mean if you're a diver a competitive diver you do have some sort of choreography when you're competing because you have to do certain spins and moves order and timing so i mean that probably helped True. But he just adapts so quickly. I'm thinking of before this, he had just done like those two uh, Guy Ritchie films, which got him noticed. Uh, yeah, Block, Block and uh, what was the other one? Snatch? Uh, was it Snatch?
1: I think it was Snatch, yeah. Okay. Uh, I want to see layer Kick, but that's the, that's the other guy. So yeah, Snatch, and Block, Stock and uh, Bernal.
0: And then he had done the one with Jet Lee. Oh, my
1: goodness,
0: yes. You know what? I think Corey Yoon had done the choreography on the one, and that must be how he built a relationship with Jason Statham. That would make
1: sense. And, like, I think that aligns, because, like,
0: the fight sequences were really similar. Yeah. Yeah, it's it's a frustrating franchise because I feel like it really just hit the mark originally and just kind of kept coasting just because box office kept going. And there's some other movies where he got to do martial arts, but they just never were up to snuff. And I really, like, the war with Jet Li is probably the most disappointing of all of them. But, oh my goodness, I don't want to talk about that. Yeah. I'd rather watch, uh, what was the other one,
1: um, the one with Jet Li and DMX? I can't remember the name the life of my right Uh but... Cradles to
0: the Grave. Cradle to the Grave, yeah,
1: I'd rather watch that. Cradle yeah.
0: Lee, it? <laughs> but it just seems like the... For the longest time, Jason Statham struggled. Like, he would have a transporter to float him for a while. And do you remember after the third one came out, his career was basically over. Uh, he was having movies go either limited release or straight to video. And if it wasn't for the expendable saving his ass, I really don't know where his career would be.
1: You know, like, I, I hate that an expendable saved his ass, because the thing that I think really should have shined out for him was the movie
0: Spy with Melissa McCarthy oh yeah that was like five years after Expendables though and yes that is like a career change that's when you remembered oh you're right he can be funny
1: (laughs) oh yeah I I still have theories about that character actually being all the other Jason Statham characters it could be
0: well that's the thing is that he rarely ever changes it up and that's the kind of thing that's boring though I have seen him wear a, a wig in a movie and we were supposed yeah. to be convinced and you're like no no please stop it doesn't look right <laughs> no yeah
1: just, just like Vin Diesel with hair it's just wrong
0: yeah um, yeah I think of the two though I'm still going with uh, the big hit that's the one that I own that I've seen so many times I have so much fun with but the transporter I, I was glad to, I was happy I got to revisit it yeah
1: well, yeah, I mean, like, I think if you're looking for something for fun, the big hit's the winner. If you're looking for something that kind of pulls you more into it, I think Transporter does that job for you. Yeah. like, I, And it comes down to just, like, you know, the main, you know, love interest where you have the one who's a model and then the one who's an actual actress. And it's like, okay, well, you know, like, it just it carries very differently. But, like, there's a lot more humor in the big hit, which is, I think, you know, what made it so enjoyable in the first place. And I... You know, again, even though I enjoy
0: Transporter more, i probably recommend The Big Hit more often. Yeah. Uh, so our next double feature is the one that we kind of put off. We're going to do The Last Boy Scout and Bulletproof, kind of the beginning and the end of the Damon Wayans as a star. Uh, and then, you know what, I think, do you want to do, like, maybe like either a clone uh, double feature, like with the one and something else, or do you want to do a Jet Li double feature, like uh, when they tried to make him a star in America, that kind of thing?
1: yeah i mean honestly like i would not mind watching the one again it's been like since it originally came out so it'd be nice getting that to freshen up on um yeah if you can think of another jet lee Li title like us let's, let's go with that yeah I think it'd be fun doing the doing the back-to-back jet lee
0: all uh sled is everybody thank you so much tony thank you thank you and tony, we are what <laughs> huh
1: We can do Lethal
0: Weapon 4 where Jet Li is the bad guy for some reason. Nah, I already did the Lethal Weapon franchise as an episode. There's something in there. I'll find it. I'll look everywhere. Alright, thanks for having me in. I love you. Alright, see you guys. Peace.